Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector, and with me uh, this morning for our 100th podcast, and I know we have a bell, Rob, is Rob Hirschfeld. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Stephen. The bell, the bell is at home, so. Oh, no. Just imagine it ringing, tolling, gonging, however you celebrate. So as, as I just mentioned, this is our 100th podcast. It's not necessarily our 100th week in a row because we've done some interstitial podcasts, but uh, it's far enough along that we're going to have a mini celebration. And, um, you know, to our listeners, thank you. If uh, so many of you weren't listening or, or reaching out to us asking for different guests, I don't know if we'd keep doing it. Um, so uh, thank you. And, uh, you know, I think, Rob, this is coming in on two years. So we're doing really well. I think so. Learned a lot of stuff. Talked to great people. All amazing group of people. So today's podcast for our 100th episode is really unique. Um, Rob and I were at ONS a few weeks back, and Rob mentioned to me, he says, you know, software is dying. And I said, I looked at him and said, well, really, it's dying? I thought it's eating the world. So this is going to be our topic today. And I think, uh, Rob, I'll let you set the stage of what you mean by this, and then we can delve in. And I think there'll be a good response. Um, I think people will listen to this and go, what? Or, you're wrong. You're right. So hopefully this gets some people uh, reaching out to us and saying, I want to be on and argue with you guys, which is our favorite. And <laughs> we, we love have a, arguments. Argue, uh, argue cast goes with rant cast. And this is really part of like a sort of a dotted line that crosses through a lot of shows that we, we talk we, we've had and people we've been talking to. And Steve, we're going to have to define software in, in a really concrete way to have, have this conversation because there's a component in this with cloud and the SaaS model that we've been seeing. There's a component with open source and the, the challenges that we've been discussing around open source and open source licensing. Um, and, and so what is software? Because software is not going away, right? Let's, let's be very clear. You know, we love, yeah. we love the dramatic title. <laughs> We're not going to stop writing software. This isn't the coming of the robot authors, you know, taking over the software development jobs. However, it's it, the business model of software and the way people have sold software in the past feels like it's under significant threat, meaning that buying a software license and using a software product is really not something that we're seeing as you know this this hot market where people get excited. As a matter of fact, just the opposite, right? For, you know, RackN is actually a software company, and so what we see from that perspective is you know an investor coming in is like, I, I don't want to fund a software company, and and the it's this sort of funny attitude in the market of I don't want to buy a software product from you. I'll buy it as a software as a service. Or, right, I guess if it's open source, I'll take it for free. But but open source is software too. It's something that the, and, and Stephen, maybe I'm finally getting to the de definition of software. It is yes. software, from, our, from this perspective, it is software that you operate, period. That, that's when, when we're defining software, it's software you install and operate. And I think that's a really good definition because most software today, when you think about it, and this is where you're, you're, it's coming to, is you almost don't install software anymore and operate. It's all, I just subscribe on a website and create an account, and now I have a software service, we'll use that word there, that comes through the web and through my browser, and I actually don't have anything to do with the back end of that software. 
you and we we see this with office products uh, where people are getting them online and, and there's a ton of reasons why the SaaS model is great right it's very low friction you don't have to worry about the operations for the software you don't have to deal with any of the messy back end or the life cycle or the patching you know, you don't worry about what version it is you know you go back 20 years to when so, uh, uh, Salesforce came out and they advertised they're not software right that was a big deal. Uh, and we've gone way down this road where people are consuming most of their IT infrastructure without having to actually buy the software. Uh, and, and we should extend that a little bit. Does that, but does that make sense? No, I think, I think that's a good definition. I think it, it makes sense because right now most people, you know, well, I, a great example, Rob, as we've talked before, is how Rackin, you know, all the different services you consume to operate your product just to get it built just to get it, the code written, support docs, all that stuff is running through tons of services that you don't install, that you actually, in a sense, have nothing to do with. It's just an API. <laughs> for, for a company that specializes in on-premises uh, software automation, right, all of our services are cloud services, right? We use GitHub, we use Travis, we use Read the Docs, we use, um, there's some code analysis tools, there's, uh, we do a ton of testing on hosted infrastructure, um, our backend uses Lambda and Dynamo and Cognito. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a lot of different components, uh, which is where I get nervous, actually. Right. And I think that's the big thing is, is that, you, you know, you don't have a sales guy say, buy this product, the three or four or five products you would use. You know, in the past, you would install them on your own servers. You'd have your own version control system, your own compiler or whatever, all that kind of stuff. You would do it yourself on your own servers. And now you just hit a button and you have that service. So what's the danger? What I, I think this is really the thing is, is one, people don't realize this is happening. And two, what's the danger that we're heading this direction and we're not thinking about it or we're not noticing it? And there, there's a couple of places. And, and this, is, this is really interesting because in some ways this is going to feel like the next version of what we saw in the 90s with some of the Microsoft monopolies and Oracle and things like that, where people, you know, use these platforms and then they, they get very locked into them. And I, I don't want to play the cloud lock-in card because I, I know that that's overplayed. Um, but at the same time, if I'm building a service and I'm depending on, if I'm building an application, a platform, a company, um, and I'm depending on all these services being tied together, then I... I actually am very dependent on all of this software, but the, I have no control over. If if something's down, if GitHub's down, the internet goes down, right? If S3 buckets are, are down, the internet's down uh, because so many people have built their products based on those platforms. And so, but it, it's not just that, right? At, 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 in, even in our process, we're dependent on 10, you know, 10 or more services on a daily basis all working together. And if one of those services changes or goes away or creates a problem, that's out of my control. Um, and I know we're not unique. This is the way we're building software today. It's, it's pieced together from a whole bunch of parts. And I don't think, and people don't, I don't know if people understand that. Um, I, I get the move to cloud because then people think, well, I put my serv I put my apps on the cloud instead of my inside database. You know, someone else manages it's cheaper for me. But I'm not sure if people have real. I don't know if it's a bait and switch. But now cloud is not just hosting it. Now cloud is use our servers we built, whatever that is, to do these features. And it seems nice and easy. 
I just call some APIs and now I've built a whole thing. But who wrote those? Where did they come from? Um, are they supported? Is there money behind them? Are they secure? Is somebody going to leak my data behind the scenes or is somebody going to analyze data? And there is some data sovereignty questions that, that we see where, where you know, countries are starting to legislate. You need to control your data all the time. And, and there could be this flip back to, from people saying, oh, wait a second. If data is in a service that I don't really understand, I can't, I don't have sovereignty over that data. I can't guarantee that it hasn't been used or mined or transited somewhere else. I mean, like we use Slack on a daily basis and we use chat ops. So it's integrated into everything we do and Slack, you know, to, you know, they just started doing AI analysis to give me helpful hints. Uh, but there's, you know, analytics on this stuff, right? The Amazon announcement about, you know, the, the, Echo and 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 them analyzing and sharing you know people's conversations from from the Echo, um, and I'm not saying that those are you know those are all concerns, but it's part of where you, you've lost control of how your application is built, and this is where you're not we're not building software anymore. If I was doing it as software, and I, I want to try and keep coming back to what does software mean, right. I would I would have a database. I would use uh, you know a SQL Server or Postgres or Microsoft or Oracle or or or, or right or uh, my own Redis database or Mongo or you know some some database and I would manage that and I'd maintain it. And yeah, that would that would be a lot harder than using the services that are available for me to use. I would have control. Well, it's interesting because when I, at the ONS event a few weeks back, I noticed, uh, I don't know if it, maybe it wasn't ONS, maybe it was the game, that's where it was, at the gaming developer conference, Perforce was there. The mm -hmm. old, uh, I think it's PVCS, CVS, uh, one of those version control systems I used to use. And it was quite interesting to see them because I haven't seen them in ages. It's been 20 plus years since I wrote software where we had our own local version control system. Yep. And how many people even know these kind of things exist? Everyone just uses GitHub, and that's the standard. Until, until you're really worried about your intellectual property, and then right. you you start you know keeping things on premises or you know in colo um, with with VPNs and protections and things like that. Right? We were just interacting um, with a bank that has huge VDI infrastructure, virtual desktops, and because they don't mm -hmm. want you know, things to run on people's desktops. They actually, they're running, effectively, they're running their own as a service infrastructure, but they have to control it. Uh, and so I, I don't think the service infrastructure is bad. As a matter of fact, it's great from reducing friction, but I, I it's been eroding um, anybody's interest in actually managing their own piece, their own software. So, so this, you know, this leads to the question I have that I think fits with this is, if the software, people that write software, sell software and with the intention that it's installed somewhere that the person manages, if that business goes away, I don't know if we can go that extreme, but if that business dies, then people lose the ability to have a choice here. And suddenly you have no choice but to use all these services, which everyone loves, but no one can run software for themselves. You lose that ability to own it and manage it. Right. And uh, independence. And then you're then you are actually locked in. And this is interesting. You're not necessarily locked in to Amazon, but you are locked into their services. Um, and then they can be very defensive with their services and they can create barriers to entry for other other competitors. One of the things I love about software and I think people underestimate is how easy it is for a new company to build new software 
and put it in market and and sort of get running with it, right? You can you can propagate software with one customer and two customers and three customers and sort of get things running. Um, and it's, you know, service is great like that. You know, we have such low barriers to entry. You could build a new service on Lambda and, and propagate it and get people using it with very low friction. Um, but at the end of the day, that's your, it, it ends up being this very narrow sliver of functionality. Uh, it's, it, I, I feel like I'm not articulating this well because it, I love that a SaaS is so easy to you know, add and increment and get in front of people and let them start using it and they don't have to worry about installing it. But I also don't feel like they can, they're as innovative in some ways as somebody writing a piece of software that they're going to control, you know, that, that they're going to propagate and put in, in customers' data centers and proliferate, you know, all over the place. Uh, and the reason people don't do that is because we've made it really hard. <laughs> I wonder... I wonder if, and you know, we've spent time early on in this podcast, we did a lot of DevOps stuff and yeah. we will continue to look for DevOps stuff. But I wonder if this switch is that developers, I know developers and operators, there's animosity and different opinions on all that kind of space. But I wonder if this is developers trying to essentially eliminate operators from the software game in a sense so that they can do their stuff and just ignore the actual deployment of it, management of it, and this is a way to move on from it. And developers are cutting out operators. Is that too far a leap? No, it, it, it isn't. It isn't. I think that it's not an attack on operators. It is an attack on IT and IT operations, which have a tendency to say no and impose rules and constraints and all sorts of things, right? Serverless is awesome because it, it's less ops, right? You don't have to do all that operational work to spin something up. And so you can just end run all of the processes and controls that you might have to do to bring up a new application. And that's that's a lot of what we've been seeing. It's this amazing, like, I need to spin out this project and get it done. I don't want to wait for IT to get a server. And, and I mean, we, we talked to a lot of companies take, you know, weeks to get somebody a virtual machine, which should just be a self-service action. You know, right. It is on, on the clouds. Um, let alone new physical hardware, which usually takes months, which is, and this is unacceptable or take existing machine and turn it over and reset it um, or give the, you know, all, all of these backlog problems are huge deals. Um, or, you know, it can take companies uh, two years to choose a platform and then roll out the platform. And at the rate we're innovating platforms that, you know, everybody's like, oh, that, that platform died last year. This is interesting to me because if we think of the analogy with clouds, at first, you know, there were public clouds first came out and IT's like, no, don't do that. And then I know even I in my previous life at Citrix, I, the team I worked on, we went ahead and created our own independent VM because we didn't have time for IT. Then IT finally caught up and said, okay, well, we'll give you a private cloud. We'll offer you something similar. And this way, the CIOs felt like they had more control. But now, now that development and software's kind of said, well, it's not just running VMs, it's the services, it's how everything is run. Do the CIOs realize that everyone's outsourced not just the actual VMs, but they've outsourced how everything is managed? <laughs> maybe, maybe that hasn't hit the enterprise yet, because I can't imagine the enterprise is going to be happy to know that they're running software where 40 parts of it, they don't know what country, where, anything, and they don't even know who wrote this stuff. I mean, they've got less visibility than they used to. This is the, in some ways, the, the truth and the horror of Gartner's mode one, mode two stuff. Um, 
because what you're doing is you're letting one one group run rampant and get staying, get get stuff done, and you're saying to the other, yeah, just keep cleaning your you know cleaning up the mess or keeping keep the boat afloat, and we we we're creating more and more drift in this case. And this is my frustration with software. I I think that we've made the SaaS businesses so easy to use that nobody you know it, nobody actually you know bothers to make on you know software easier to use and that is, is the travesty is that we're not investing in saying oh wait a second on premises is really hard because of all the heterogeneity and these different practices and and it's really slow because it is involved in making decisions um and we we sort of threw down through threw down the the challenge like we just said eh, oh well and nobody's nobody's really in there saying you know software has to be better, easier to use, and that that should be be where things go. Um, and if nobody's trying, it's just not going to get better until um, maybe Ed shows up and says, "Oh, wait a second, that's not cloud managed. We need more tools um, or internal processes adopt more self service." I don't, I don't know, Stephen. It, it it feels like we still need people to be able to control their own software, and that that there's going to be a pendulum swing back to that. Um, I mean, does that you agree with that? It's it. I, I agree with I, I agree with you. The pendulums always swing back and forth. I'm just not sure that people in the industry understand how far the pen, pendulum has swung to the SaaS model to the point that everything is almost all SaaS. I'm not sure people get that, and I think that's you know when you said to me a few weeks ago this thing, and then we talked about it. I'm like, whoa! I never really thought about it, and and part of this podcast and for our listeners is what do you think um you know we have a another podcast coming up with another guest talking about this but we'd like to get more perspectives love to get you know if you're a senior operator uh you know running at a big company and you have thoughts or what you've seen we'd love to have you come on because i think this needs to be discussed more the pendulum can't swing back rob until people realize what's happened and and I can tell you from our, you know, I can't name names, of course, but I can tell you that there's plenty of people who are looking at, you know, on-premises infrastructure and managing it themselves. And when I say on-premises, I mean colo. I mean, anytime when you're controlling it, right? Yeah. It's, it's a control component. But this idea that we're going to keep spreading, um, you know, services more and more broadly, um, I think is problematic for us, right? If the innovation requires, and I, I like bringing this back to innovation, but also, yeah. you know, there's a commercial component too. And we see that just from picking streaming services. So you can watch your, you know, your one of whatever shows. Um, but if, if either, either we're going to innovate by having new services pop up and you're going to have to fight to become part of this chain of, you know, myriad of services that people consume or people, or they're just all going to become from one provider. Right. So Amazon's going to provide 100% of your services and it's going to be, you know, every, everything. And we are, I already see this with what we do with Amazon. Right. We, mm -hmm. I was looking at adding WebSockets. I'll be very specific. Right. We were saying, oh, we want to do WebSockets against the Amazon API gateway. And so, you know, you Google that and it pops up and says, oh, that's great. Just have to add in the message bus broker service that Amazon has behind the scenes, which is not a service we're using today. And then that one, I requires a new thing that we'd also need to incorporate. And so, you know, every time we step forward, we get deeper and deeper entrenched in in that ecosystem. More 
might be dangerous. I remember when people used to scream, oh my God, you know, Microsoft, I don't want to get locked into Windows. And, and now, but these same people are locking themselves into clouds in ways be, way beyond locking yourself in an operating system. We're going to talk to Martili about that as a, as a risk. So I don't want to pre-stage that conversation. We'll just highlight for Mark Teeley's post uh, for his upcoming podcast on that. But but I, I do I do think just to, to sort of put the nail in the coffin, if you will, um, that when we look at what's going on with software, right? I think we we just articulated why we've been saying software is dying. It's dying because all of these you know there's this sort of land rush to SaaS, and people are are very blindly not blindly. I think they're they're maybe understanding the benefits into the SaaS model, but it is leaving a vacuum behind where traditional software development has really been struggling. And, 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 and to me, some of that has actually even been reflected in our, op, in our open source conversations, where if you're not running a SaaS and monetizing open source as a SaaS, then it's very hard to monetize open source where people are so confused about running things themselves and the value of running things themselves and paying you money for a license to run software. I think Rob, there's a book. There's a book here for you. I don't know who has time, but because uh, <laughs> because I do think that I, really I don't think people get this. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap us up here by saying if you're listening to this and you agree, disagree, or have thoughts, let us know. We want to uh, you know we thought we'd pick something. I don't. It's not controversial, but it's quite interesting for our hundredth podcast, and I think this is. Uh, this is a really good topic for us to focus a little bit on in the near future. And if you're a SaaS provider or cloud provider and you want to come and talk and say why it makes sense that we're doing this, join us. Uh, you know, Rob and I are always happy. Rob, um, one last thing is, uh, you know, now that we've reached 100, 100 podcasts, we've reached a milestone. We will be doing some um, changes to the way we do the podcast. We're going to upgrade ourselves. We're going to... We're not bringing in advertising, so don't worry. All the podcasts will remain the way they are. It's all free. Nope, we gonna, we're not going to be telling you what mattress to use and no, what, what, no, what coffee no beans. Uh, unless, unless my children launch a website to sell Girl Scout cookies or something, in which case we'll be adding that to the podcast. But other than that, no. Um, but you will see we will be updating our website uh doing some better integration with our blogs and things like that. So uh, for our listeners, stay tuned. We are going to be um, kind of taking the podcast to another level. We're excited about that. Those things take, those things take money, Stephen. You yeah. Just and flat out, we're, right? we're raising money, but we're not raising money in a way that impacts what you hear or who you hear. So um, we'll have some sponsorship opportunities but they won't be sponsorships that impact uh, the podcast. We think it's important to be upfront with our listeners. Um, we will sell sponsorships, but you won't have uh, this podcast brought by this person, or you won't all of a sudden have us doing a podcast with the company that doesn't make sense, uh, promoting a view that is, why are they doing that? Uh, that won't happen. So, um, But we do want to upgrade and make this podcast better for our listeners. And so um, we're going to try to do that in the next couple of months. Right. And, and I, I should clarify, we, we are happy to have people come on and tell, say what their company does. Sure. That, that is normal. We just don't do it because they're paying us to do it. <laughs> yeah, we, we, don't, we don't do that. But if you do see Rob and I and uh, you know, new Ferraris are buying a Gulfstream jet, if you do see the latest shiny Gulfstream jet flying around, Ooh. then uh, you know we have sold out. 
My silver Lambo, it's on the way. I've ordered it. <laughs> Maybe I'll get a Matchbox car of the latest shiny airplane. That'll Ooh. be what we can afford. <laughs> I like it. Well, thanks again, Rob. To our listeners, I hope you enjoyed our 100th podcast. And Rob, looking forward to an, another 100 podcast. Uh, it's going great. And our listeners, you know, continue to share this with other people. And one of the exciting things that happen is often people come to me and say, you know, hey, I was listening to this podcast about Edge called Latest Shiny. You should check it out. And I love saying, of course, I'll check it out. I know who those guys are. And uh, I, I think that's, that is really good fun. So thanks again, Rob. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Stephen, I'm delighted for the 100. I'm looking forward to the next. Thanks.